Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I have a special guest today. He is my friend from Australia, Daniel. Hello there. Bro, I am always fuck up your last name. I know it's Spanish. How do you say it? <laughs> Vergesus. Vergesus. Vergithas. Vergithas. I like the way you put that extra lisp in there. Thank you. And um, it's cool because you used to live in Norway. I did. And uh, how long did you live here for? I lived here for three years. Did just, just twist that a little bit. I lived here for three years. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't actually been back for three years. So it's good to see you. Yeah. And I saw you when I went back to Australia. And you, I guess you'd only been there for about a year or something then. And you were living on the northern beaches then. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw a lifeguard and he spoke Norwegian randomly, an Australian lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because he was talking to my daughter. She got stung by a blue bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, where are you from? Norway. Hi, son. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> Yeah, that was random, man. Dude, there's fucking Norwegian people all around the world, eh? Yeah, it's good times. Yeah. And you're also a filmmaker. Correct. Bro, and we worked together when you were living in Norway. Yep. Yeah. You guys were the first people that took me in when I moved to Oslo. Yeah. Yeah, who dares? Man, not even that. It was, uh, yeah, that. But I remember because I had some job and uh, you asked for like work and I was busy doing something else. I was like, hey tomorrow 11 yeah. o'clock can you just take care of yeah. this and you fucking stepped up like a legend yeah i actually when i got here to oslo i wrote down the name of all the production companies in yeah. oslo phoned around and you answered the phone and aussie which yeah. i never would have thought would answer and you exactly you were like can you start tomorrow <laughs> yeah. like, can you take photos as well and i'm like yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> You're like, can you start tomorrow and then it went from there yeah but um first of all i when you called me and that you were Aussie too, I was like, oh, yeah. fuck, legend. You know what I mean? And I always try to, you know, being in Norway for so long, I always try to, you know, become friends with other Australians. Like fucking obviously, right? Yeah. But you also told me that you had your own company back in Australia. Mm. And I go, oh, well, if you have your own company, then you're a pretty fucking responsible guy. And I just, you know, thought that you'd be somebody that could take all that responsibility and deliver up to the very high expectations that clients always put on filmmakers. And you fucking did. Mm, thank you. Yeah, no worries, <laughs> man. And you're still making films? What's going on? Yeah, it's actually, it's been really busy since about September last year. We had these crazy lockdowns yeah. in Australia. And um, basically a lot closed, all the big corporates kind of just shut down. So it was quiet. Yeah. But then when Australia opened back up, it just went bananas. Lots of companies wanting content. Um, yeah, lots of companies wanting to market themselves, needing to market themselves. Yeah. So it just literally all came at once. All my clients came back plus. Mm, but did you go through a, a long period where the work had dried up? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So uh, as you know, Australia literally shut for two years, the country. But a lot of my clients... Everyone was kind of scared for a while, didn't know what was going on. Mm. So it really quietened down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And how did you, like, how did you fucking pay the rent, bro? How did you survive? Uh, we, it was like a this job seeker um, help from the government. Without that, we would have been struggling big time. Okay, because you had no money coming in. You couldn't work. Little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, no client work. Just a little bit. It was interesting. All the bigger companies slowed down, but I found a lot of small businesses needed still needed to market themselves so yeah it really shifted quickly from the bigger companies that i was working with to just small like two to three man businesses okay needed 
work. So and was that like video work or photos or videos and stills? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so they're just th they're 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 still operating during the pandemic. Yeah, they had to. They had to try. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Man, I think a lot of businesses had to shut down, eh? Like, yeah. I mean, in Norway, a bunch of businesses, just they just didn't make it. Restaurants, bars, things like that. How did you guys go through the pandemic? Uh, we actually did pretty good, man. You know, I mean, it was a, we, we, everybody was laid off for a few months, two or three months. And then in Norway in 2020, like kind of, uh, you know, it, the pandemic kind of slowed down a little bit and then everybody realized like, okay, it's not this, it's not this thing that's going to, you know, because everybody was scared in the beginning. We thought, okay, if you catch it, you're going to die and everybody's mm. watching the death rates just fucking skyrocket. So it was bad for two or three months. And then when we got towards May and June, like summer, it was like, okay, we're not all dying and we still need to sell this shit. Yeah. And uh, people were marketing a lot digitally. So then we just jumped on this, okay, a digital communications uh, kind of wave. So we were doing a lot of like training videos, things mm. that people would normally meet up for events. We would end up just doing that in, in the studio, yeah. like yep. maintaining distance, everybody wearing masks. And, um, you know, like I was lucky because we were able to turn the, uh, the non-physical world and just translate that into the digital world, mm. which is filmmakers, which is, you know, basically where we live anyway, right? So we did okay, man, you know? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but we, we were lucky. So yeah. j j just lucky by being in that space. You know, I have friends that are, say, like, you know, live performance people, yeah. like comedians, Smashed. musicians. They're not, they're not making anything. Mm. you know so the it was fucking it was rough for a lot of people it was rough for us too but you know we, we, we were lucky yeah nice yeah and um yeah man that's it but you're uh you said that you're super busy now mm. yeah yeah so it's actually been nice to take a bit of a break i'm actually staying up in northern norway at the moment mm. for a month visiting my wife's family yeah and um, I'm just editing a bit up there. I, I've, I shot some content before we left mm. and I was able to bring my laptop and hard drive. So I'm editing from up there, but it's kind of nice to have a bit of a breather before mm. I jump back in. Yeah, it, I think you need to have it, eh? Mm. Yeah. And so how long are you in Norway for? Four weeks. Oh, Uka. Beautiful. Yeah. And, but you sent me some pictures from up north and it's still, it looks like winter there, <laughs> yeah. bro. It's like a Game of Thrones style winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice up there. So we had the full Easter um, weekend. Yeah. So we were up in the mountains, frying or not frying, but cooking sausages in the fire and. Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it's good, man. And what's the town called? Hashta. Hashta. Yeah. Okay. I think that's where Sophia Lisa's from. Yeah. It yeah. Is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. And that's a small town. Yeah, I actually did a shoot with you guys with Sophia Lisa years ago. <laughs> Oh yeah, where she was. Um, I think it was, she was blindfolded, with a guide dog. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, shit, you were there for that one. Yeah, Damn. that was a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah, you also did some other influences, like in the forest with these dogs. Yeah, and they were Fuck. blindfolded in the forest with yeah. the guide dogs with lots of obstacles to go through. Yeah, holy shit, the guide dogs are something else, eh? Yeah. Man, I think the forest is hard, but I'm super impressed when I see a blind person in the streets. You know what I mean? Like a busy street and trams and buses and trucks. Like, fuck, you got to really have a lot of faith in that dog. Yeah, there's a mate of mine who's just done a documentary on a blind surfer. 
in oh, Australia. Damn. He's got he's got five percent vision. Okay. So he can he can just kind of see very bl- blurry. But yeah. It's insane the waves he takes. You wouldn't believe it. So he's he's he, like he's not just up and like small little whitewash. He goes in competitions, international competitions. Wow. So they they flew to California to film him in. Uh, I think it was. Um, I'm not exactly sure what event it was, mm. but he was taking some crazy waves. I'll have to send you the yeah the link. Damn. But I'm like, man, people that have uh, like a, a disability like that, because I, I see uh, f- for some reason, um, people with disabilities lifting weights mm. pops up in my Instagram yeah, feed same, all the time. Actually, right? Yeah. And I go, fuck. And it's always the same thing. Like, uh, what's your excuse? I, yeah, yeah. You know, n- n- no limits. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But it is funny. Like, uh, it's inspiring to see what people with the right mentality, mm. even if they don't have all the physical attributes, what they're still able to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Shit. But uh, are you... Um, what kind of videos are you making these days, bro? So, it's a... It's very random, actually, different things that are coming through. So I do a lot of promotional content for products, for different brands, um, product launches. And um, yeah, it's it's so random at the moment. I'm doing also what you said, lots of training videos. But then I just find lots of people are trying to promote products at the moment. So a lot of product promotions. Yeah. Yeah. From like everything, like barbecues or surfboards or... No. <laughs> I'm stereotyping yeah, your filmmaking yeah, no. <laughs> here, bro. Barbies and surfboards. That's right. Um, no, I do lots of different stuff. So I do a lot for Optus. It's kind of like Telenord. Mm. So that's in the telco space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found myself doing a lot of, might sound boring, but a lot of in the corporate world. That's kind of where all my clients have come in. Mm. That's where the money is sometimes, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Because, and, if is it like internal communication stuff a lot of it both yeah okay so a lot of the times it could be internal communication so i'm working with a marketing team on yeah how do we talk to our company internally but yeah. lots of external facing stuff as well yeah yeah do how, how do they how can we talk to our customers how do we get our message out to our customers and are you involved in the creative process when it comes to developing a script or a video yeah so it depends Sometimes the clients, if they have their own communications and marketing team, they they will know they'll write the script. Yeah. But a lot of the time, they they will come. They'll ask me for ideas, and yeah, we talk through it, give them a few ideas, and then we bounce back and forth and come, t- as you would know, come to um, the right solution that they're after. Yeah, I always feel like f- creatively, when I have some kind of uh, input to offer when it comes to how something should look that a i think the video turns out way better and b i'm so much more engaged into making it like Mm. i've done a lot of projects where it's just been i feel like i'm just putting together somebody else's vision and that's okay too and you always have your own you know spin on how that should look but if somebody says okay this is what we want to do what do you think we should do and then let's develop the script together i always find that that's such a more rewarding process to be a part of Mm. Yeah, it's nice to see your ideas and yeah, together come to fruition from start to end. It is nice. Mm. Yeah. And um, like, do you struggle with uh, like when you got into filmmaking, mm-hmm. 
did you think, okay, filmmaking is feature films, filmmaking is making like a big TV series, and now you're doing corporate videos. Is mm. that something that like you thought you would be doing when you started making film? No, it isn't. It's a good question. Some people that I went to film school with would maybe frown upon that corporate content world, mm. but I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, uh, I do so much different things and that bring my creativity into all of it. Mm. Um, I don't just do corporate, but when I do, I yeah, I, I get a lot out of it. I get to meet a lot of different people from different worlds. Mm. And um, yeah, as I said, a lot of my friends from film school are, are pushing much more into films and short films and things like that. But um, I've found myself in this niche kind of and it really works well for me yeah yeah and are they bigger productions or are they like sometimes it's just you or sometimes it's it's a mix yeah sometimes i'll go in and kind of direct shoot and edit mm. but then if it's a bigger project i'll bring in dops and motion graphics guys and yeah, i'll bring in a bigger team mm. depending on what the budget is and what the project is always yeah I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same situation and I get a lot of pleasure out of doing everything. Mm. Sometimes I love just turning up, shooting something, editing it, doing everything. And I have like this strong sense of personal ownership and I really enjoy doing that. And then when I'm working with a bigger team as well, I really enjoy the community vibe and I love working with other professionals in their fields. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like whether absolutely. it's a fucking like a guy who's just perfect at lighting or like somebody who's like a great DOP or mm -hmm. uh, animation, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, steady cam op. Yeah. But what I find, I, I mostly direct shoot and I, I do edit, but I'm not like a awesome motion, motion graphics artist. So I'll always try and bring in a motion graphics artist if I can, just to add that extra production value onto my work. Yeah, but the thing is with film, there's so many levels mm. when it comes to different jobs that it's impossible to be good at everything. Yeah. Like you don't have the time. Like if you wanted to be like the best at motion graphics, you need to dedicate like, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and yeah. just do that. But when, you, but when you get a specialist, it's like, I'm the motion graphics guy. You go, yeah, you've already put those thousands of hours in and I just need you to do these three scenes and let's fucking go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And um, do you want to like, because uh, the, the thing that maybe a lot of people don't understand is that the Australian film industry is fucking huge. Like it's a huge industry. And so living in Norway, I'll tell people, oh yeah, The Matrix, they made that in Australia. Mm. Uh, Wolverine, yeah, they made that in Australia. And people just think because it's set in like Tokyo or it's set in America or something that they make it in these other parts of the world but the australian film industry is fucking huge and it produces a lot of dope shit mm. it actually went really well in the pandemic because in the states they had some crazy regulations where they couldn't film here couldn't film there they had a lot of red tape to get through so that during the pandemic the first year they shot a lot in australia mm. a lot um and it was all american talent where you would you would have no idea they were doing like big pharmaceutical commercials all in Australia because they couldn't do the production in the States. Okay, so they would just fly the talent over and then use the Aussie crew. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. find an American 
in Australia, but yes, maybe flying the, the talent over and all Aussie crew. Yeah. My sister worked on this Marvel film. Uh, I, I always struggle pronouncing it. You know the one I'm talking about, like Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings? Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they shot that in, in Australia. I think she went down to Melbourne or something like that for, I don't know, like two months or whatever. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and they said, and she said that, A, they were so strict during the shooting process and she took covid tests like literally every day every day every morning you got to take a we call it a rat test yeah okay um what did you guys have to do in in norway we've had to take a a rat test Mm -hmm. which is a a, like a 15 minute covid test yeah rapid test before every shoot in the morning yeah it's been pretty crazy down there yeah i think it was i think it was like that i mean every time that we went out for a job we took tests and we always maintained distance and we wore the masks and mm. everything like that. You know what I mean? But, you know, uh, I think I've got a feeling that it was probably stricter in Australia. This is such an over-regulated country, you know? Yeah. So did you have to QR code? We, have, we had to QR code everywhere we went, every restaurant. Every time we go to the shopping center, you had to like pretty much QR code in everywhere you go. Was that to prove that you were vaccinated or just to register that you were there? To register you were there and to let you know if someone had COVID, they would, you would get an alert like five days later and say, when you're in Woolworth shopping center, someone had COVID, go and get tested. Okay. So it was like a tracking system as yeah. well. Oh, that's yeah. kind of good. Yeah. It wasn't so bad. Yeah. You know what? I, it was not like that advanced here. Mm. I, I just registered for a few places that I went to, but not really to that level, I don't think. Mm. So, you know, noise kind of is kind of relaxed, bro. Like during the summer as well, I didn't even notice that there was COVID. So from like July, maybe June, July, August, everything was kind of open again. And then as it started getting darker, they go, okay, now there's this new variant. Mm. Now there's this new level of people getting infected. Now we have to shut down everything again. I mean, everything getting shut down in Norway in winter, that's fucking brutal yeah that's horrendous yeah because you have the darkness you have the cold and you lose jujitsu and you lose restaurants yeah. and you lose shopping centers and you lose comedy it's just like what are you doing and and everybody was on home office you know what i mean like people were just like it was almost like kind of forbidden and a lot of companies big companies everybody just had home office like i had a friend who lived by himself and he had home office for basically two years Far out. What does that do to your mental health? Yeah, it's no good. No. Were you doing comedy before COVID? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I started comedy maybe it was around uh, October 2018. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was really good. And then I tried to hit it hard in 2019 and I was kind of getting some good momentum and then everything shut down in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like a, that was a death blow basically. How often do you write your material? Uh, I write material maybe, it depends, because uh, I do a lot of writing on the fly, yep. you know what I mean? Like if, if I'm just having a conversation with you and you say something funny, I would get my note out and go, oh fuck, dude, talk about this. And then later on I would go and work on it. But I would say I'm working, const- I would say I'm constantly working on my material, like yeah, every nice. day. Yeah. Yeah. But then if I have a big show coming up, if I go, you know what, I'm going to completely do a whole new set, then I'll take maybe an entire day off or two days off. And then I'll say, okay, I'm going to write 10 new minutes. 
And by the time I finish with that timeline, like if, let's say it's a day, let's say it's two days, then I want to have uh, written 10 new minutes and I want to have rehearsed it at the end of the first day, worked on it again the second day, rehearsed it. So if I had to perform that night, the second, the night of the second day, I'm good to go. Mm. Yeah. And you don't have notes or anything. You, you just got to sort of run with it. On the sta- on stage? On stage, yeah. No, I never take notes. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. A lot of other comedians take notes, yeah. even if it's just like a bullet point. Like say, remember to talk about parrots. And they always look down to it. Um, but I never do that. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, A, I feel like if I don't remember it, like I, I try to actively remember it. Do you know what I mean? I work at remembering it. Like I do memory exercises yeah. so that I can remember those bullet points because I don't want to have it written down on a piece of paper next to me. I want to have it written down in my fucking head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But it it's a definitely a... It's like mental gymnastics. Do you know what I mean? You have to remember a bunch of new shit. You have to say it the right way. And if you, if you fuck up the setup, the punchline doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, you've always been a good speaker good on the banter yeah thank you well you know i just naturally enjoy talking to people yeah and my mum was an english teacher so she was always reading to me from a young age and i have a good sense of story Mm. and uh you know i just not the most attractive looking guy (laughs) so if i if i ever wanted to get anywhere with women i needed to be able to you know rely on my personality on the lingo Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so i guess uh i guess that kind of helps too you know yeah yeah but i also i also really enjoy um just having fun just making jokes Mm. you know what i mean like if you're gonna have a conversation with a buddy yeah that's cool but imagine if you have a conversation with a buddy and you throw jokes in and he throws jokes in just i don't know it's just more enjoyable for me yeah it's very inier fucking classic inier james bro (laughs) but you um uh you were living in norway right yeah and then you had a baby and then you guys were like we want to move back to Australia. Yeah. So we've got two, I've got two little girls now. Yay. Congrats. Yeah. So I've been home for six years now. Wow. Is it six years six already, years, brother? Yeah. We filmed the Starburn Festival and the Starburn Festival yeah. just before I left. That was one, of, still one of the best jobs, the funnest weekends I, I've ever had on in work with Pharrell and Elton John. Played. Oh, that's right. It was awesome. Yeah. And like yeah. you get basically front row tickets. Yeah. You know, you're in the pit filming. Yeah. We weren't allowed, we were allowed to interview everyone that weekend, but we weren't allowed to interview Pharrell. That was the, the, his media. Yeah. We weren't allowed anywhere near the guy. <laughs> yeah. Dude. So did you do, were you filming interviews then? We were doing a bunch of stuff, but mm. we were doing mostly, we were doing, remember we had editors there. We basically brought the IMAX with us mm. to the festival mm. and me and Eric were shooting and you had editors that were like turning it around to send out that night. I was one of the editors. Maybe. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, because we had to pump out like a bunch of short Instagram videos you constantly. You were sitting in a tent and yeah. we were just running the footage back to you guys. Yeah. And you guys were just working through the night, smashing out content. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, yeah, I remember that. Shit, man. No, but the festival scene in Norway is fucking awesome. That was unreal. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we lost festivals for two years. Yeah. Obviously, right? Crazy. But now they're coming back. Mm. Yeah, which is good. Are you a big festival? Are you, are you shooting events and stuff back in Australia? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of events. Music scene's coming back, which is good. Mm. That got hammered in Australia as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. 
But are you, are you doing any festival gigs like you like what we did in Starbun? Not so much. No, no, not festivals. You know, the real money at the festivals is for the sponsors. Mm. You know, the festival they don't really usually have the biggest budget for promoting the festival for next year and yeah. selling tickets. But they don't always need to because if it's a good event, they'll just release the tickets the day after the event finishes, and then people will just buy it because they had a fucking awesome experience. But the sponsors. They're the people, you know, if it's like Pepsi or something, they're like, okay, we invested a million kroners into this. It doesn't mm. matter if we pay, you know, a film guy, like, you know, 25, 30,000 kroners to make a video of it. So that's fucking, that's the way to go, man. Get that sponsorship cash. Yeah, nice. And are you, are you, are you glad that you made the decision to move back to Australia? Well, uh, it's a tough one. It, it's, it is, international re- relationships are hard. Yeah. Um, I feel of course, much more comfortable doing what I do in Australia. Mm. I find as a director, when you go into a room, you need to make everyone comfortable. And what I found here was when I would go into a room and speak English, some, you know, some, it would put some people off. I, I found that I made them a little bit worried because mm. I was speaking English. Maybe it was more in my head, yeah. but in Australia, I, I, I can make people feel comfortable and that's a big part of what i do and um work wise yeah it, it works well for me yeah yeah and and what about like uh is your is your girlfriend or is she are you married is she your wife yeah cool not me cool not yeah is she is she like able to find work is that all fine on that yeah. side of things yeah she's she can find a good job here and in Australia. So she's got good opportunities in both countries. And you met in Australia too, right? So she's yeah. probably used to that environment. Yeah, we met at, at work um, in Sydney. Yeah, she went to study in Australia, and she's so we've been. She's been there for almost twenty years. Really? Yeah. Well, in year two thousand, she went and studied in Sydney. Yeah. But she's been back and forth quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah, 2000s when she went to study. Okay, so it's more natural for her in she, Australia than it is for you in Norway. Yeah, she knows Australia really well. She's got a lot of friends there that went to university. And then from she's got, actually got some really good Norwegian friends in Sydney as well. Oh, that makes it easier, right? Eh? Yeah. And there's so many more Norwegians in Australia than Aussies in Norway. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Nordman yeah. down there. Yeah, there's heaps, eh? Yeah. And I guess like with her, you know, speaking English, her English is probably fucking light years beyond your yeah, Norwegian. Yeah, well, she, she works in communications and marketing. So she her written English is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a big advantage. Mm. And your kids, are they like, they're little Aussie bogans, mate? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting. We're up in northern Norway now mm. and it takes about 35 minutes for us to get all the layers of clothing on them. Yeah. And then they only after about 15 minutes they're getting used to the snow but they sort of want to come back inside yeah after 15 minutes they're getting used to the to the cold yeah but i mean if you had to choose between getting dressed in like 30 seconds and putting on like you know flip-flops and a t-shirt or getting into some big fucking winter dress it's so much easier just fucking throwing on those flip-flops yeah shorts and a shirt yeah kick him out the door yeah like with my kid man who's five now it takes him forever because i try to make him dress himself Mm. you know he's got to become independent so dress yourself what's his name jackson jackson yeah with the x nice yeah and so whenever he you know if i've got you know if i'm like kind of on a tight schedule to 
him ready, I'm going to wake him up like 30 minutes earlier, you mm. know, just so that I can give him the opportunity to dress himself and get himself ready. And just in the winter, it just takes fucking so much longer. Yeah. And he doesn't enjoy it either. Oh, yeah. Nah, fuck that, man. He's like, and they go, we're going to play outside. He's like, we're going to play outside. It's so fucking cold. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes in maybe like up up north, like where you've just been, Mm. the snow is, you know, it's more fun than just ice and. Yeah, that's true. Cold here, you know, like up there, they probably like, you know, building snowmen and shit. But here you can have a freezing winter and it's not even a ton of snow. Did you get much snow? This winter? No, it wasn't too bad, bro. I mean, there wasn't that much snow because uh, I don't know, man. I guess it's the whole global warming thing and the currents and whatever. But it was mm. it was just cold. It was just like a, you know, like a, a, a wind that kind of bites you and just dark. Well, you train, don't you, to keep yourself sane? I've seen you training a lot on Insta. Yeah, man. I'm training all the time. I've been yeah, taking cool. like a little bit of a break because I've got the puppy and I'm doing a lot of stand up and it's been busy at work. So I haven't trained as much as I'd like to, but mm. usually I would train every morning before work. Yeah. Yeah. And jujitsu as well? Well, uh, no, I haven't trained jujitsu for four, four months actually because the gym that I trained at, it got bought out by Sutz. Yeah, okay. And they uh, kicked out the jujitsu part of things and then turning that into like a high interval training center. Mm. So I trained a lot after things opened in like June or July or August last year. And then I trained all the way up until December, like three or four times a week. Got my purple belt. Oh, cool. Thank you. And then everything shut down. And then I just, uh, I was waiting for this new gym to open. And like Norway was still kind of a little bit closed for a couple of months. And then it only opened really in like February or March. So everything was like locked the fuck down. Oh, right. Yeah, until March. And so then, uh, but I actually went to jujitsu la three days ago for the first time in four four months. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I got my ass kicked, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, jujitsu is one of these things that like, if you're not training it regularly, you your body just forgets what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And your mind will catch it a little bit too late. Or your mind catches it, but your body just isn't in sync with it. You know what I mean? So you really felt it oh, the next few days later. Dude, I felt it. I felt it. And because I hadn't been training strength or anything for like a month. Mm. So I was kind of out of shape. And my, my cardio, all the cardio that I get in life is basically from jujitsu. You know, we do five or six five-minute rounds every training session. And that's pretty intense, right? Mm. So you're constantly moving and you get like a good level of conditioning through that. It's 30 minutes a day or whatever the fuck it is. So I lost all of that too. So I was exhausted, out of shape. My mind and my body weren't in sync. That's a recipe for getting fucking destroyed. Mm. Yeah. Wow, right. Have you done any crazy detoxes? You used to do some pretty interesting detoxes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I do like juice detoxes. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I think yeah. when you were here, I did a 30-day juice detox. You were just smashing like celery juices and stuff every yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 oh man, I tried to experiment around with making different juices for mm. different times of the day. But in the end, it just became too much work. So I just literally made the same thing uh, every single day for 30 days. Shit. Yeah. No solids. No, nothing. Far out. Yeah, just juice, bro. But I'll tell you something, man. I think, I, I mean, I went down like maybe 12 or 13 kilos. Yeah. Uh, muscle and fat. Yeah. Uh, and, but I didn't, I didn't, after, honestly, after three or four days, I was fine. 
I could like just do that for the rest of my life. Mm. And then I started mixing in pea protein powder. Yeah. Because I started thinking like, oh, I'm not getting any fucking protein. And mm. I could notice my strength like feeling weak, seriously decrease. Like my muscles were basically uh, eating themselves to extract the yeah, protein. Yeah, I get you. So then when I added the pea protein powder and then I was just doing some push-ups and stuff like that, I, I maintained muscle mass more, mm. but I was still uh, I was still losing muscle mass, but at a slower rate. But after 30 days, man, I felt fucking great. I was in fantastic yeah, shape. There is something that happens when you just juice. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not just that it's solids. It's that you're getting like a fuck ton of nutrition from the vegetables. Yeah. And it's literally all energy from the sun you know what i mean if that makes sense like it's everything that grows in the ground mm. grows because of the sun and so that's the thing that's powering all of your food and then that's the thing that's powering you i don't know if that makes sense but <laughs> <laughs> sounded good yeah how about you are you like living a healthy life you look yeah. great by the way oh thank you uh, yeah i've been trying to do like a high in protein and vegetable diet not as much carbs yeah, good. Um, and I actually lost a shitload of weight. Not that I wanted to, but um, I saw a nutritionist just to... I got blood tests and stuff and I saw a nutritionist that put me on. Yeah, it's basically uh, lots of protein with every meal. So meats, chickens, fish mm. and veggies every meal, even yeah. in the morning. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So what do you have for breakfast then? I'll have... I might have a juice, like a, a smoothie first up, but then about 10, 30, 11, I'll have my first meal sometimes leftovers from a night before i literally do a chicken stir fry oh wow at 10 30 so, yeah nice so just get veggies into my body pretty and protein in pretty early and are you eating any carbs like rice or anything like that not so much um but i'm eating potatoes sweet potatoes because yeah. i felt I, I, I was losing a lot of energy i was feeling without the carbs yeah like just protein and veggies i, I was yeah i was losing weight and a bit of energy so i had to throw in the bit of carbs i think it helps man yeah right not too much and not like complex carbs like not like anything too heavy but like a sweet potato sounds like the perfect option but just taking out bread and pasta which are two amazing things of the best yeah i lost yeah shitload of weight just yeah. from taking those two things out it was crazy so everything else being the same you just remove bread and pasta and then you go down in weight yeah how much did you lose probably about seven kilos damn yeah and how long about a month you lost seven kilos in a month yeah from taking yeah wheat and dairy um yeah mostly wheat out of my diet yeah okay do you still eat dairy now not so much no do no. you feel better yeah 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 i don't eat that much dairy oh and sometimes i go through phases my girlfriend loves cheese so I'm like, oh yeah, fuck it. Let's get I some. love cheese. Me too, right? Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope for me though because I, I can't just have just one slice, you know? And if I'm making knekkebra, I'll yeah. have like fucking five of the cones. You gotta smash it on there. Yeah, I smash it. Heaps of cheese, bro. <laughs> but when I don't have it, I sleep better. Mm. You know what I mean? And I don't have any like kind of no phlegmy feeling or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Sinuses. Any working out as well then? I mean, Australia, there's a fucking pretty sporty nation. Yeah, yeah, I am not as much as I should because of work and kids, but I, I am going to, yeah, push it more. Yeah, and what are you going to do? Mostly just free weight stuff, like chin-ups, push-ups, oh, that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yoga. 
yeah. stretching. Just get the body weight going. Mm. Man, I think that's a good way to define strength. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you could maybe like say, okay, you're bench pressing pretty heavy, but can you do 50 push-ups in a row? Yeah. How many chin-ups can you do? You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I noticed for me, it was like a different kind of training experience because basically for two years, I was just doing body weights, right? Go down, the gyms were closed. So I just go down to a chin-up bar, do push-ups on the parallel bars, do chin-ups, do some body weight squats. And I was being, you know, I could do like 10 pull-ups. And then when the gym opened again, I was just doing the, you know, weight exercises. Mm. And then I could only do like four or five pull-ups. You know what I mean? And I felt like, well, what is really a better measurement of strength? Being able to do more with my body weight or more with iron? Mm. And I, I, for me, I thought, well, the body weight's a better representation of what strength is because it's a direct proportion of what you're able to do with your own body. Mm. So, and in, in doing the body weights helped try to help me maintain a degree of leanness. You know what I mean? Like, okay. You, if you weigh 100 kilos or if you weigh 90 kilos, the difference in how many pull-ups you could make is drastic. Have you tried ice baths or jumping in the fjords up here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, I, I haven't. I'm actually doing it this Sunday. Oh, you are? In, in Oslo. Nice. You guys have a sauna behind the opera house or something? Yeah. By the water? Yeah. What time are you going? Uh, clock at tea. Clock at tea. Yeah, okay. Is it the one at yeah. Sukibitten? There's a couple. Yeah, I think I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm a member there actually. Yeah? Yeah, I got a, a year card. I bought it in like fucking 2019 or something, 2020. And it's just been shut down. So I still have like <laughs> six months left of it. I heard, you tell me, but I heard for an Aussie like me, mm. I don't have warm Viking blood. It's pretty gnarly to go from a sauna into the cold water. So I shouldn't go directly from the boiling sauna straight into the cold water because that's a massive contrast but is i guess that's what you guys do uh i think people do it differently but i do it the way that you suggested so i have a routine in the sauna and i try to go two or three times a week right mm -hmm. so what i do is i go into the sauna and then i set my watch and i try to stay in there for 30 minutes yeah so uh it sometimes i can stay in there for 30 minutes sitting at the top sometimes i have to literally sit on the floor right but i always try to stay in there for 30 mm. and then i go out and then i just cool down for five minutes i just sit yeah. in like a lotus position yeah because i want my heart rate to slow down because i hear so many stories about people you know who are playing rugby or who are training and then they just have sudden heart attacks yeah or if they do something like they ride their bike for a fucking three or four hours and then they jump in the cold shower and then they have a heart attack there mm. so i also wear like this heart rate watch and then I'm, um, you know, like in the sauna, it's basically like replicates cardio. So my heart rate gets up to like 130 or something like that. Mm. So I don't want to go from 130 to just jumping in fucking, you know, freezing water. freezing water. And then my heart rate goes up even more from that. And it's such a big shock to my system. Mm. So I personally do what you suggested. And I, I stay in there for 30 minutes and then I just try to relax and sit there for five six sometimes ten minutes just, just outside just outside yeah even if it's in, in the sun or if it's you know if it's if it's still cold my my body is still super warm from the mm. sauna and then i just try to bring my heart rate down but what i also try to do is i try to i try to have the same breathing so i'll always try to like 
breathe in my nose and out my nose or in my nose or out my mouth, whatever, whatever I do. Yep. But I try to maintain the same constant rate of breath in the sauna and then the same constant rate of breath outside the sauna. And then I'll slowly get into the water and just have my head sticking out mm. and then try to maintain that same breath in there. So I never want to get this... <gasps> I never want to have that panic. Yeah. Because I think if you have that panic, that's a trigger from your nervous system that says, oh, we're in stress. And mm. then your heartbeat starts fucking pumping even harder. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You just scared me now. Yeah. Nah, you'll be fine. Good. Yeah. You'll be all good. But it's a great experience. Yeah. I've got to do it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I had a friend come over from Sweden a couple of years ago and we went to the sauna in the morning. First thing we did, it was mm. like seven o'clock or something. And we were in the sauna and we did that and like the water was freezing. I think there was like ice still on the fjord. Yeah. And it was like in December or January or something. And it was just the best start to the day. How long do you wait until you go back into the sauna after the cold water? Well, what I try to do is I try to do 30 minutes in the sauna, five minutes outside of the sauna, two minutes in the water, mm -hmm. and then I'll go back into the sauna. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do it like that. And I always try to stay calm in every one of those environments. Yeah, yeah, it's a good tip. Yeah, I think so. And I've tried to do it the other way as well. I've tried to like just jump in the water, but then I'm still at this level where the water just still shocks me and I kind of almost like hyperventilate. Mm. Yeah, so I'm just trying to do everything real slow. Yeah. Yeah, but there's some uh, fucking psychos, man. And maybe they're not psychos, but... They, they'll try to get the sauna as hot as possible, like 100 degrees, 105 degrees. Yep. And then they'll just jump in and they'll be wow. fine. Yeah. Crazy, man. Yeah. But I guess it's like everything else, you know, like you just get used to it. Yeah. And I was doing it pretty regularly. Like for a while, I was doing it almost four or five times a week. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. And then I was just, man, I was so conditioned to the heat. I was the guy like, let's put some more heat. Let's put some more wood in. Let's put some more water on. Let's go. And if everybody, and I always try to have this mentality as well. And that is like, whenever somebody says, should we make it hotter? I always just say, yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Even if I, because what people do, <laughs> a lot of people, they'll, they'll jump in the, in, the, in the fjord and it's freezing. And then they'll come into the sauna. And as soon as they get in, they go, oh, it's not hot. Let's just make it hotter. But if they were just in there for five fucking minutes, you know what I mean? They'd be in mm. the same position of me that's been in there for 25 minutes. But then I always take it as like this mental fortitude test. So I know that you're not hot. I'm fucking super hot. Yeah. yeah. You say, should we make it hotter? I go, yeah, let's make it hotter. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I think... Pushing yourself to the limits. Yeah. It's, it's just one way of like fucking challenging yourself, I guess. But are you, are you going with... Who are you going with? Some friends or... Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's good. You, you got to get involved. Yeah, I do for sure. And I, I, man, I'd love to. I'll see if I can uh, book it for the same time. Yes, I'll do. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do on Sunday? What's that? A rapier course. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A rapier course. Two hours of unarmed combat training. Oh, cool. Oh, sorry, not unarmed. Obviously, with the rapier. Far out. Yeah. Isn't that dope? Awesome. Yeah. I used to do a lot of... It's like a theatrical fighting, right? For a theater and film using rapiers. And what? Where's that from? It's a stunt coordinator who yep. does these courses for his team and for anybody else that's interested in theatrical fighting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's at the, it was at the Opera House before. I think it's probably still there. 
and it's uh yeah man it's just a lot of people that do film and theater fighting that and you you know you you get the rapier and you choreograph a fight scene and it's kind of fun you know awesome yeah do a post put a post up i will i'll make a little post but it's he he does all kinds of like i think he does like four hours a day i'm sorry four hours every sunday every second sunday whatever it is and it's also like rapier which is like the three musketeers style sword and then like there's uh, uh viking swords like double hand big ass viking swords there's axe and shield shit awesome yeah, yeah it's fun it's just like dude stuff you know cool you're gonna wear your cool Mjolna shirt yeah you gotta wear that yeah you like that one don't you yeah yeah have you been to iceland no no uh, i'd love to dude it's a trip up there Mm, yeah it looks amazing yeah are you able to travel much now with the two kids and everything oh not not for long <laughs> only short trips yeah yeah so i'm just down here for a couple of days in Ushlo. yeah yeah i go back on sunday yeah but you were a big traveler before you had kids weren't you yeah yeah where do you have a favorite are you in south america south america so good it's the best right it's the best yeah where'd you go in yeah. south america i went brazil then down argentina up through Bolivia to Peru. So the, the Gringo Trail, they call it. Yeah. yeah. And Central America as well. Yeah, okay. How long was that in the same trip? Different. Yeah. How yeah. long did you do the Gringo Trail for, bro? Four months. Oh, beautiful. So good. Yeah. And yeah. You, you speak Spanish? Your dad's Spanish? Un poco, sí. Ah, muy bien. <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess your Spanish got pretty good after four months, though. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, you've been through there. You went to Peru, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I uh, I spent a lot of time in South America, actually. Mm. And then later on, I went to Peru to do that uh, to do ayahuasca. That's right. Which was fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You ever done any ayahuasca? Nah. I know you, you're the master. Bro, I hit it up, man. We did seven ceremonies in 12 days. Crazy. That's a lot. You, you with your sister? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first time I did it with my sister and that was a, I mean, that was great, you know, like, because obviously living in Norway, I don't get to see her that much. Mm. And when I often do see her, it's in Australia. Yeah. So we haven't taken that many holidays together. Yeah. And then we just said, hey, do you want to go and, you know, do this ayahuasca adventure? And she was down. And then before I know it, like, I think I spoke to her, like maybe maybe like three weeks or a month before or something. And I go, I'm going, do you want to come? And then she didn't pull the trigger until like a couple of weeks before. And then all of a sudden we were there. Far out. And what's the, what's the deal? Are you, are you allowed to talk about the sort of stuff you experienced or is it more of a thing that you keep to yourself? Nah, man. Talk, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you see some enlightening stuff, don't you? Some, Yeah, a lot. A lot. You learn a lot about yourself. Mm. Yeah. So I um, I was pretty, like, I'm pretty lucky in life, yeah. I think. So I haven't had, like, too many traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the people that I was there with, they had had a lot of uh, shit happen in their lives. Yeah. So I was there with, like, a couple of guys that were in the military that had, like, PTSD yeah you know what i mean like they've seen their friends get blown up and you know they've had to kill people or they've had to do things that have ended up traumatizing them later on in life and they haven't been able to find the help uh, through pharmaceuticals or through Mm. psychology or therapy so then they 
decided to seek healing through ayahuasca. Yeah. And I was also there with like, a, you know, a couple of women who had been like rape victims mm. and who had been, you know, experiencing like a lot of trauma earlier on in their lives, yeah. uh, which has ended up shaping the rest of their life in a way that yep. was, uh, you know, in, in incredibly negative. And so they went there to try to, uh, you know, uh, find some kind of way to move on past those experiences. And uh, they, man, like, you know, like they, it, you come out the other side a different person. What are the healers like? Are they locals or were they foreign? No, so they're locals. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what you do is you fly into this small town called Iquitos, mm. which is at the basin of the Amazon River. Like yeah. It's right on the Amazon. And then you take a bus for like an hour and then you're on a boat and then you like a little canoe, a little motorboat kind of thing. And then you go up the river for like an hour and then you track into this tiny little village thing for like an hour. So, you know, you're surrounded by like a canopy of rainforest and, you know, there's like jaguars and birds and like everything. Like you're fucking right there. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then the people that are there, the, 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 the shamans, mm. they're from a tribe called the Shipibo tribesmen, which is an indigenous tribe to that area of the Amazon. So then they have been practicing this in their culture for, you know, like a thousand years or something like that. So it's very authentic. So when you're in a room or where, wherever you are, the space yeah. with all these people that you mentioned, mm. what, what's happening after you've taken the ayahuasca? Mm. Are you like kind of chatting to these people? You're obviously experiencing things in your mind. Mm. Are you all kind of, just off doing your own thing or how does it how does it the few hours play out or the day play out when you're all got these different things going on so i think it is like when you get there on the first day you have like this kind of meeting where yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, and the facilitators are often you know english speaking people from you know canada or america or whatever you know yeah and they're the people that have like flown into live there for a year or two years and you know host groups together yeah, with that's the what I was thinking, yeah yeah so like so uh, our group you know we have like a meeting and then we talk about what we want to get out of the experience and then they give you tips about how to navigate this you know psychedelic space and you know kind of try to just help make you feel like it's okay because it's a really scary experience mm. because a lot of people say the same thing that like to cross over into that spirit world you have to experience death so this is a really common experience for everybody. So uh, a lot of people, obviously, when you're experiencing this kind of traumatic psychological journey, you have to be able to sacrifice your life. You have to be able to say, okay, I cross over into the light. And that happens in different ways for different people. You know, like for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to fall and I'm just going to fall until I cross over into this thing. Mm. And your ego always constantly resists that death. But you have to mentally surrender. And for a lot of people that have experienced trauma, they have like a super protective kind of ego that doesn't want them to cross over into that side because it's yeah. very scary. So they, you know, they, they talk to you about the, what's going to happen. And then during the ceremony itself, you're in this big, it's called a maloko. It's like a big gazebo kind of thing in the forest, mm -hmm. which is a wooden structure. And then they have mattresses 
laid out in a big circle. So you have your own space and you need to have a mattress basically because you're, you're gonna laying down yeah, a lot you, of the time. A lot of the time because it's so overwhelming. And obviously if you cross over into this realm of death, into this like next kind of level of existence, uh, you're, you're, you're lying down because you've completely surrendered all of your physical attributes, right? So you're not going to be standing, you're not going to be sitting because that's a realization that you're still alive. So everybody has their own mattress, right? And mm -hmm. that's your space. And nobody's going to come into your space and you're not going to go into anybody else's space. So that is what you get. You get a single mattress and you get a bowl, a bowl to vomit into mm. in front of you. And then everybody is, uh, you know, you sit cross-legged and then they start the ceremony. And so what they do is they start singing and chanting. And when I was there, I think we had, uh, maybe there was a group of like 24 people and like maybe seven shamans. Yeah. Okay, there's a fuck ton of, yeah, there's a lot of shamans, right? And so they start performing this ritual. It's dark, you know, there's no lights or anything like that. And then they have um, the, uh, the shamans are sitting around with the ayahuasca, which they call the medicine, the medicina. Mm. And um, then so you listen to the ch chanting for like 30, 40 minutes, m maybe an hour. And you just kind of like focus on your intentions. And then they call you up. They say, okay, Inia, come up. And then they pour the ayahuasca into like uh, into a bowl. I mm. think ours was like a coconut husk kind yep. of thing. And they pour the ayahuasca into there, or maybe it was a little glass. I think it was actually like a shot glass. And then um, you drink it. And then you go back to your mattress. And then, you know, I just tried to sit in the lotus position for a while and just tried to have like a good, strong core, like an upright kind of, try to hold on to this like good posture and then the um psychedelic experience starts taking over mm. and then when the psychedelic experience starts taking over you uh you know i mean i couldn't sit in that lotus position for long man you know yeah. what i mean like i was fucking out of it bro i was fucking in the spirit world right and then like as 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 the uh as the ayahuasca gets stronger and stronger as it like starts like you know coursing through your body yeah then then what happens is so after everybody's taken it like 30 or 40 minutes later the shamans start going around to people individually singing at you fuck yeah so that's what happens bro and then like every time the shaman comes you're supposed to sit up and receive the blessing mm. or receive the journey and we had maybe like four women and three men and they each represent like different sides of like masculinity or femininity yep. or they have different, they, wow. can, they can invoke different emotions and different spirits and shit like okay. that. Yep. And so like, uh, I would sit up, right? Cause I was, I was fucking out of it. And then like- And they you would, still have the, the kind of sense to sit up when you see them? Yeah, always. Yeah always so that was always like a they say try to sit up if you can't don't worry about it but if you can then it's That's better what they ask you to do yeah it's better for you so i would sit up and then i would have this you know like shapibo tribesman woman in her like 60s or something she would sit cross-legged in front of me 
and then uh, she would start like uh, chanting and blowing smoke on me. Mm. Like, so they have these like uh, kind of cigarette things, that's, um, like in just like tobacco sage or something. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tobacco. Okay. Yeah, but they it was like just tobacco that they roll themselves, and yeah, they would smoke it and then like <sighs> blow smoke on you. Okay. And then they would sing at you, and when they would sing at you, you'd have your eyes closed. You're basically in the spirit world. And then they would navigate your experience through their own song. Mm. So whilst they're chanting at you, you could be reliving some kind of event. You could be having some kind of realization. You could be, you know, just releasing some kind of past trauma, whatever the fuck it is. But what often ended up happening was that um, there's this, you vomit a lot. Mm. So what they kind of believe is that there is a physical blockage that's connected to your mental blockage. So like if you experience some kind of trauma, uh, the way that you will uh, relieve yourself from that trauma in this experience is you would vomit. Mm. So it'd be like, okay, I experienced this. Getting it out of your body. Getting it out of your system. So they, um, man, but it was amazing, bro. Like it was really, really, really something. And like everybody's fucking puking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And at that stage, like the ceremony lasts for like fucking four hours, bro. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a long night. And so after, shit, I don't know, man. Like after like maybe an hour or two and you've seen like three or four of these shamans, then they say, do you want to come up? Does anybody want seconds? Does anybody want any more ayahuasca? Yeah. And I would always say yes. <laughs> I would always say yes. Shit. Because you know, sometimes the medicine would wear off or even if I was still fucking tripping balls and you lose your visual acuity, like you can't see and it's dark and they have like candles and shit like that. But I would say yes, yes, yes. And then they would help me up. I would sit down and then I would have like a whole nother fucking dose of ayahuasca. Crazy. Crazy. Go back, sp- fucking space out, lie down. And then before I know it, I, there's a shaman just going, and it's like, oh shit, there's another one here. And then I would sit back up and then they'd sing to you for like five, six, seven, eight minutes. And the whole time they're singing, you're just fucking you know, like going with the rhythm and that rhythm is guiding your thoughts and then it's leading you to realizations and shit like that. Wow. Yeah, man. It's no fucking joke, bro. That shit is super real. Ah, we have a coffee delivery. Thank you so much, mate. Thanks, man. fucking legend. Right here. Yeah. But have you thought about doing that? Is that something that you want to do? I've been... Thanks, bro. I don't know. I've always found it interesting. I've, you've told me about it before. I've always found it super interesting. I know that a lot of good things could come out of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you haven't experienced anything like super traumatic that you wanted to try to like cleanse or anything like that? Not or? super traumatic. No. 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 But everybody has something, right? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. How can you get through fucking life without experiencing any trauma? mm but the thing, the thing, the thing for me was that, like, when I went into it, I felt like I didn't need any of this healing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I felt like, oh, come on, man, I'm good, bro. I'm fucking crushing life. I got everything sorted out. I'm fine. Yeah. But it's not the case. Definitely not the case. Yeah. 
you know, you end up like one of the things that I experienced was like I experienced every it was a pretty weird, weird sensation that happened because the night's kind of crescendo. Mm. So like as you get deeper and deeper into it, like we did seven, seven ceremonies in 12 days. Right. So you, I know. And there's this uh, there's this thing called the Trinity. So you do I can't remember how it is, but you do two ceremonies, take a break and then you do three ceremonies in a row something like that so the trinity and at the end of the trinity right is when i did the most amount of introspection and healing and that was when i uh i experienced everything negative that i'd ever done to anybody from their perspective wow what in the one session yeah at the end yeah because time works differently you know, like, you know, when, you, when you're dreaming, you have this really yeah. long, complex dream and then you wake up and say, like, oh, fuck, that was just 30 seconds. I just dozed off. But in the dream time, it fucking drags on forever. So for, for me, this like environment was like I was on this like uh, muddy kind of battlefield and I couldn't really see what was going on. And it was yeah. it was light. I remember this so clearly it was lightning and it was raining from the blood of all my dead ancestors. And then I would, and I looked out, seriously, I looked out and I could just see like 5,000 figures, like 5,000 different figures of people in like in, in the lightning. And then I went up to every single one of them. I had to walk up and face every single one of them. And it felt like I was there for fucking three (laughs) years, bro. (laughs) It sounds like the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's the White Walkers. Man. Yeah, actually. But and you talked to all of them and they were, and you could see yourself from their perspective. Yeah. I could, I could see me saying or doing something hurtful to wow. them and how it made them feel. And it was actual things that you'd, you'd was done all, in your youth. Everything was an actual thing. Dude, some of it was shit that I'd done recently. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it was stuff from like when I was a kid. It was stuff from when I was a teenager. It was stuff from when I was a younger guy. It was stuff that I'd said wow. to my kid. It was stuff that I'd said to my girl. You know what I mean? It so was w- like, it wasn't like random shit. Like when you have a dream where you wake up and you're like, what the hell just happened? It was actually, you can remember real situations. Real situations, man. Wow. All of them. Even wow. things that I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah. Even things that, you know, like happened when I was sitting on a school bus when I was like 10, mm. where I just said to somebody, oh, your haircut sucks. That was oh. still there in your subconscious somewhere. All of them. Wow. Well, they say that you never forget anything. You just can't retrieve it. Mm. You know what I mean? But everything that you ever experienced is somehow still recorded in your subconscious memory. And then, like you know, when you watch like documentaries or you see, you know, uh, videos or something about therapists, how they're able to retrieve really specific details from somebody under mm. hypnosis it's yeah, sort of yeah. like that you know what i mean like if, if somebody hypnotizes you and says okay take me back to your first day of fifth grade you can say oh yeah my mom just made uh bacon and eggs uh, she burnt the bacon a little bit my dad came in and said hey have a great day at school and you know he took my orange juice like whatever the fuck happens you know what i mean there's like a really detailed uh, memory about fucking everything mm. yeah awesome yeah 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 so that's you know that's that's kind of what i experienced and then at the at the end of that trinity at the end of that 
third session in a row, then I felt like I was kind of cleansed. Then I felt like, ah, and that was hard, man. That was like Mm, a really horrendous. (laughs) It was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. But imagine like, imagine how healing that is when you uh, release yourself from all of the pain that you've caused other people. Mm. You know what I mean? Because remember, I haven't experienced, I've experienced pain and trauma, right? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot, but not to the same extent as other people that needed to work on that for themselves. So I, you know, I, I worked through a lot of the pain and trauma in the first four or five sessions or wh- whatever it was. And then I got to a point where I wanted to release pain and trauma that I'd caused other people. So imagine just Crazy. pushing control, alt, delete on all of that kind of subconscious guilt. Yeah. And then the other two sessions after that was, how can I be a better person? Wow. How can I make sure my interactions with other people are always positive so that I'm not causing anybody any more pain because I don't want to have to go through that again. Wow. So it literally took seven sessions for you to get through that experience. Yeah, yeah I would say so. That enlightening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And, and then like, okay, so I worked through all of my own personal trauma. I worked through all the trauma that I caused other people. And then I started doing work on what I wanted to do with my life, how I wanted to treat other people, what kind of man I wanted to be, what kind of things I should do to maintain my own happiness. How could I make my community happier? How can I make my family happier? How can I make the world a better place? Wow. Right? And that had a significant and lasting effect on me Mm. that I'm still doing those things today. Far out. Yeah. Did your sister have a different experience? Obviously she did, but Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a much different she had a much different experience. Yeah. Yeah. So um I don't uh she 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 didn't have she had this like more personal journey Mm. for, you know, what she's been through in life and how she should move forwards. Mm. so that cool. was you know it was sort of like uh and it like I've, I've i've spent like some time explaining my experience yeah uh, but it's impossible for me to explain anybody else's yeah of course yeah but i i i know from the other people that were there like the people that experienced like other significant trauma that they felt much better mm. like they were completely different people by wow. the time they finished and, and what, what ayahuasca does and what it did to me and what it did to these other people is that sometimes you can go through life and you can forget that there are other people that love you. You can mm. forget that you love yourself. You know what I mean? You can forget that you come from this beautiful place and you have, you know, a, 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 a happy, happy world and that there are people that care about you. And you can forget that, you know, you are special. And I don't know, like, you know, where the fuck people come from, like where, whether we're, you know, descendants of monkeys or aliens and monkeys or Mm. whatever the fuck, whatever, wherever we come from. But that what unifies like people and what unifies, um, you look at like a family gathering, like it's always love. Do you know what I mean? You're often getting together because of love. You're often getting together because you want to be with these people Mm. and that feeling that you get with each other is kind of special and then that feeling is also global you know like the global movement like the global consciousness like this global feeling of interconnectivity you just understand that you're a part of something bigger much bigger Mm. 
So that's kind of what it did, man. It made people kind of fall back in love with being alive. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So when are you going, bro? <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. And, you know, like I've smoked a bunch of weed and I've taken like MDMA and stuff like that. And I've had similar kind of experiences, but nothing as introspective. Mm. Nothing like not even yeah, yeah. nothing, not even close. I mean, I've taken magic mushrooms as well, and I've had like a similar kind of realization. But the drug itself isn't enough. Like, what really helped push you over was the shamans. Yeah, yeah, and just the ceremony be, and the ceremony. And when you think about like where humanity comes from, no matter what your nationality is, you come from a history of culture which places a lot of emphasis in the past on ceremony, right? Hmm. Think, think about like, you know, people sitting around a campfire, thinking, think about like the ritual of becoming a man, thinking about the ritual of becoming a woman, thinking about the ritual of becoming a hunter or a warrior or a sh whatever the fuck it is. You know, there's so much ceremony that's involved in what it used to mean to become a person. Uh, maybe, maybe we still have ceremonies today, but in different ways, like graduations or, now you're getting a confirmation, you know, whatever it is. But ceremony is super important, right? Mm. Yeah. Mate, you're a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I try. <laughs> I try my best, bro. I try my best. Oh, shit. What time is it? Oh, 1.15. Bro, you want to wrap this up? Yeah, man. Fucking legend. I just want to say I'm very, very, very happy to see you. You too, mate. One of the main things that I wanted to come to Oslo was to see you. So that's awesome. Bro, I love you. Elskaday. Elskaday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Big kiss. Any jams out. Mwah.